Chronicles, the second Chronicles, chapter 26. This morning I'll be uh, teaching on King Uzziah. What we're going to look at today is who is King Uzziah? He's one of the lesser known kings of Judah, and so perhaps some of you guys don't know much about him. We're going to be looking at Uzziah's prosperity and power. We're going to be looking at Uzziah's pride and punishment. And then from 2 Chronicles 26, primarily we're going to be looking at what truths this teaches us and how we can apply it to our lives. And then lastly, our last point is to consider the king from Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. So before we even dive into the text, <coughs> I'd like to try to set the stage just a little bit, provide some context. Uh, just so happens that uh, the last two weeks, we've also been talking about kings of Israel from what I listened to on the recording. I think it was Aaron Ives taught on um, King Saul, and then uh, Jason Adam taught on King Solomon. And so we're actually looking at another king, a little bit different though, because at this point, the nation of Israel has split, and we're looking at just a king of Judah. So the year is about 791 BC, about 180 years after King David. And the nation of Israel had split about 140 years prior to this point, before King Uzziah. So in an even bigger context, just something to even remember, just really in, throughout all of Scripture, is that God's people, they're a chosen people, and they're, all, <coughs> excuse me, they're already going to be looking for who the Messiah is. Now, there's not a lot of prophecy yet even at this point, we're, we're actually going to see from Isaiah that Isaiah was a prophet during King Uzziah. So there's not all the prophecy that we know about, about the Messiah, but there is prophecy even all the way back in Genesis 3, where <coughs> it talks about the, um, the one who will crush the serpent's head. And so already there's, there's this anticipation of a king, of a Messiah, who will crush the serpent's head. And I would just have to consider at this point in time, if I am uh, living in the, the nation of Judah, every time a new king comes on the scene, I might even have anticipation, is this the one? Is this the king who was promised to us all the way back, even in Genesis 3? So that's a little bit of the context of, of this book in Second Chronicles 26. So, who is King Uzziah? He is the 13th king. Again, he's just over Judah. He's not over all of Israel. After Solomon, the nation splits. Uh, he also goes by the name of Azariah, not to be confused with one of the priests that we're looking at in the chapter today. His, he also goes by Azariah. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14 and 15, 2 Chronicles 26, which we're going to be looking at mostly today. Hosea 1, Amos 1, and Isaiah 1 and 6. So even though he's not perhaps as well known as some of the other kings, he is throughout a lot of Scripture. And there's some pretty pivotal... Y'all can just move that on the ground. 
So he's throughout, he's throughout Scripture in quite a few places. So we're also looking at today his prosperity and power. He's very well known for that. He's also extremely well known for his pride and his punishment. And then after we look at that from 2 Chronicles 26, what I want to do is basically try to just simply see what the text says, make observations of the text from 2 Chronicles 26, look at some of the finer points of observation and application, and then I want us to kind of zoom out a little bit, if you will, and go to Isaiah chapter 6, where King Uzziah is also mentioned there. So, if you're there in your Bible in 2 Chronicles 26, we're going to start with verse 1. And we are going to be doing quite a bit of scripture reading today, so I hope you guys are all okay with that, because there's much more benefit to reading scripture than just me talking. So we are going to read a lot of scripture this morning. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 1. Please read along with me. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His, mother na- his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So right here in the text, we say that the people, we see that the people of Judah made him king when he was 16 years old. And a lot of times you guys may be thinking, well, you know, how does scripture apply to me? I'm, I'm young, I'm a teenager. Well, right here, a king of Judah, when he's 16 years old, is made king. We already see a little bit of introduction into his success here. It says that he restored Eloth, which is a city, a seaport city in Solomon's day. We're going to talk more about that later. We also see that he reigns as the king of Judah for 52 years. That is the second longest rule of any king of Israel or Judah, second only to Manasseh. So 52 years. So if you guys would think, you know, (coughs) about our presidents, sometimes it feels like we have presidents for a long time. It's way longer than that. 52 years. So I don't even know if anybody, Bruce may be the only one who could say, like, he would have lived his entire life while King Uzziah was reigning as king, longer than anybody else's lifetime. And then the text says, this is really important, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. It also says that he set himself to seek God. It also says that he sought the Lord. And part of what was done to help him seek the Lord is the Lord provided a man named Zechariah. We may be thinking of other Zacharias in the Bible, and it's not one of them. It's a standalone man. We don't really know much about him. We don't really know anything about him, except that he instructed King Uzziah in the fear of God. And Uzziah did listen to him. 
he heeded the instruction. And so what was the result of him seeking the Lord? What was the result of him listening to the instruction and the fear of God? We see it at the end of verse 5. God made him prosper. However, I want you guys to realize that there is a bit of a conditional clause already. It says, as long as he sought the Lord. As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So I think we're already seeing a little bit of a hint in the way that this is written that perhaps there may be a time where he does not seek the Lord and perhaps God does not cause him to prosper. But we're not there yet. Let's look at the rest of this chapter. Let's look at the next section, verses 6 through 15, which teach us more about Uzziah's prosperity and power. We're going to read it all, and we're going to summarize it. Verse 6. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Meunites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in the Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war and divisions according to the numbers and the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses was mighty men of valor, was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made Machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelous, marvelously helped till he was strong. So let's pause there. That's a lot of illustration, a lot of example for us to just simply understand that Uzziah was incredibly prosperous. He succeeded in almost every way as king. To summarize a few of the ways that he succeeded, his military strength and success was incredible. He spread the territory of Judah, just small Judah, not even all of Israel, into three different directions into enemy regions. Some of his enemies even began paying tribute to him because of his power. He fortified the boundaries of Judah with towers. He added numbers to the army. He prepared new weapons and armor to outfit this army. And this is my favorite one. He built new machines of war that his men invented, something like catapults or something like that. I think of the movies The Lord of the Rings where they have all those things throwing rocks and stones and arrows and 
we may think that that was created in, you know, by Gandalf or something, but it was Uzziah. Uzziah invented machines of war. Another area that he advanced his kingdom was agricultural. That may not sound like a big deal to us, but back in that day, that was everything. And it really is still a lot today too. Y'all just don't realize that much. Agricultural advancement. He had towers for grain storage, cisterns for water for the livestock, large herds of livestock in multiple places throughout the nation, and he was adding farmers and vine dressers. This was huge for the nation of Judah. Another category of his advancement was engineering and construction. He built towers for war and military purposes. He built towers for agricultural purposes. And then don't, remember, don't, don't forget all the way back in verse 2, it mentioned that he rebuilt a city named Eloth, which was a critical seaport city all the way back from Solomon's day. He was responsible for restoring that to the nation of Judah. So all that to say, he was incredibly prosperous. He was more successful than any of us. He really was even more successful than most kings of Judah or Israel. There may be a few that would rival the success that Uzziah had. And one of the results of this prosperity we see in the text is that he became famous. His reputation was beginning to spread. His fame spread, for he was very strong. His fame spread far. People were hearing about Uzziah and hearing about his accomplishments and hearing all that he has done for his nation. Now just a quick point here. I don't want to dive in too far because we're going to look at our observation later, but just a quick point from the last few verses that we read. Where did this prosperity come from? Verse 5 says, God made him prosper. Verse 7 says, God helped him. Verse 15 says, for he was marvelously helped. And we just have to assume that that also is from God. So just a reminder there before we move on to the next section. God was the one who caused him to prosper. Let's go back to the text. Let's look at verse 16. We're going to read the rest of the chapter now. 2 Chronicles 26.16 And this is a key verse here. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with eighty priests of the Lord who are men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry at the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead and the presence of the priests and the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. 
And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote. And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. This life of King Uzziah is actually not difficult for us to understand the lesson that's being taught here. Scripture does an incredible job of setting up the contrast, of showing us just how successful and just how prosperous he was in showing us that that came from the Lord. And the second that he became prideful, the Lord struck him. The Lord disciplined him. The Lord punished him. So as we dive in now to make some observations, to ask some questions of, is, is there something here that we can observe that's true? And is it appropriate for us to apply it to our life? I want to start with what I think is the most obvious. It's, it's actually in the text. We don't have to even wonder. God's Word tells us what's going on here. So the very first observation and application that I want us to look at today is that Uzziah's pride leads to his destruction. And that's right there in verse 16. In verse 16 it says, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. So, just to summarize, <coughs> at age 16, he becomes king. At age 16, it appears that he's humble. He's listening to the counsel of Zechariah. He's obeying the Lord. He's seeking the Lord. He's doing everything that he should do as king. And the Lord prospers him. The Lord blesses him. The Lord expands his kingdom and expands everything that he touches. And we see from verse 5, verse 5, verse 7, verse 15, that God made him prosper. God helped him, for he was marvelously helped. We know clearly what is the source of Uzziah's strength. What is the source of Uzziah's prosperity? This is not hard for us to understand what's going on here. And we see that he then falls into a spirit of pride. And the reality is that's also not hard for us to understand how he could do that because we do the same thing. We're not very much different than Uzziah. I'd like to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 19, another long passage. Like I said, we're going to read a lot of the Bible today, but God knows the heart of man. 
And this passage would have been perfect for Uzziah to read and consider and take to heart and to apply. Deuteronomy 8, starting verse 11. This is going out to God's people. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through great and terrifying wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, this is the people of God talking now, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. So if you're anything like King Uzziah, if you're anything like the people of Israel, if you're anything like me, then when you hear this, when you read this story in 2 Chronicles 26, you relate. Because the reality is, every single thing that we have done that would be considered prosperous, every single thing that you have done that would be considered good or right is completely God's kindness to you. It's God's help. We don't do anything good. We don't do anything right on our own. <coughs> I know that many of you guys have already experienced some level of success in what you do. Y'all are in high school now. You're, you're doing more stuff. You may be successful in sports. You may be successful in school. You may have success with your friends. You may have success in your hobbies. You may be really intelligent. You may be really athletic. You may be really great at your job. You're right at the time where you're starting to develop as a person and you're starting to really achieve something on your own. Maybe some more than others. But the next several years for you guys, y'all are going to grow a lot. You're going to, truly, you're going to achieve a lot. And I just, I know that you guys are already faced with the temptation to feel good about what you're doing. To, to build up in yourself your own fame, your own pride, and to let that start to sink into your heart. 
and perhaps even motivate you to start doing more and more. This feels good. I'm getting the fame like Uzziah got. Someone has noticed. And so let this be a warning to us that this is not honoring to God. The same pride that Uzziah had, the same pride that the Israelites have, we also have. We already do. And I would just say that you guys are at a stage in your life where you're probably going to be faced with that more and more each year as you get older, as you have more opportunities, as you start to spread your own wings, as you start to achieve your own things, you're extremely tempted to feel pride. Proverbs 16.8, sorry, 16.18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you feel like you can relate to Uzziah and you're feeling very prosperous and very powerful and very famous in your own little world, you might be close to a fall. And what is pride? Pride is sin. And sin is deceit. Sin is a lie. It's really, really easy to listen to your own voice of pride to build yourself up, to make yourself feel better, to seek after what it is that you're good at and, and what people recognize and people notice. And you start to lie to yourself that that's what matters the most and that's what's most important. That's what defines me. Sin is deceit. That's why we need to listen to passages like Hebrews 3.13. And we should exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uzziah was listening to his own lies about who he was, what he needed to do, and he just went full on into his own sin, full on into his own pride. But pride is very harmful. It's very destructive. The reality is you're robbing God of His glory. You just have to understand that any good thing comes from the Lord. Any good thing is not from you. Any positive thing that you can do in your life, any good deed, any good thought, any good word, is God's kindness and God's grace to you. Give Him the glory. Stay humble as you succeed and as you grow and as you go about achieving things. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I just want you to consider for a moment, can you think in your own heart, do I have a spirit of pride like Uzziah. And if I do, what should I do with that? Do I see myself in Uzziah? Do I see myself in my own achievements and my own prosperity? And I, do I begin to attribute that to myself and like it and appreciate the fame and appreciate the recognition? And, and we can do that with a lot of good things. It's not, it doesn't have to be some really wicked thing. That's why Josh just asked me before the service what passage to read, and that was 
I didn't have one, so I came up with that because the Pharisee is sitting there in the parable and he's saying, God, I thank you that I fast and that I pray and that I give and that I'm not like this guy. I'm really, really good and I'm prideful because of my spiritual strength. I'm prideful because I'm doing things right for the Lord. That's so wrong. The Lord is the one who deserves all glory and all credit. There's no room for pride in our hearts. The second observation that I want us to look at from this passage, still connected to pride, is that pride creates discontentment. King Uzziah was made king at 16. He had success in almost everything that he touched. The Lord helped him over and over and over again. He expanded everything that he did. If any man in that day should have felt content with his situation, it should have been King Uzziah. No one had it better. He had everything. He had God's favor, God's blessing, God's help, success, prosperity, fame, everything. Yet we see that he became prideful, and not only did he become prideful, but he became discontent for what the Lord had for him. The Lord only had him as what? King? That's pretty good. And what did he want? He wanted something more. He wanted something else. There really isn't much that he could have looked at and said, that's off limits to me. Yet his heart identifies and, and, and focuses on one thing. I want to do what the priest does. I want to burn incense to the Lord. I'm discontent. And we know really quickly that this was not some holy desire because of the way that he acts. So this should make us think of Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything was perfect. They had the Lord walking with them. They had everything provided for them. But there was one thing that they weren't supposed to do. Partake of the fruit. And so what was it that they wanted? That fruit. We are very discontent people apart from God. That's how Uzziah is. It's so, it's got to be so offensive to God when we act like this. When God gives us so much, God blesses us so much, and in our hearts we're just grumbling and we're unhappy because we don't have that, that one thing that we don't have, or we don't have that thing that we're going to get one day. And so we're just mad and we're angry and we're, and we're willing to sin because we're discontent. And really, what Uzziah wanted was not to worship God. He wanted the honor that was associated with being a priest. He wanted the honor of going into the temple where he wasn't supposed to be to encounter that experience with God. I ran across this quote from Charles Spurgeon that I think hits the nail on the head. Spurgeon says, 
about discontentment. There is a danger that frequently awaits the rich man. When he has enough wealth and property, he has not always enough honor. If the queen would but make him a justice of the peace for the country, how glorious he would become. That done, he will never be satisfied till he is a knight. And if he were a knight, he would never be content until he became a baron. And my lord would never be satisfied till he was an earl, nor would he be then quite content unless he could be a duke. Nor would he be quite satisfied unless there were a kingdom for him somewhere. Men are not easily satisfied with honor. The world may bow down at a man's feet. Then he will ask the world to get up and bow again. And so keep on bowing forever. For the lust of honor is never satisfied. Oh, learn, brethren, in whatever state you are, therewith to be content. King Uzziah was not content. He had more than we'll ever experience, more than likely. So the lesson here is that if there's something in your mind, there's something in your heart that you think of and you think, when I just get that, when I have that, when I'm married, when I have kids, when I have the job that I want, when I have the car that I want, when I make this team, when I am able to do this, when I look like this, then I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. That's also a lie. That's also deceit. And if you're just telling yourself that over and over again, that's a sin. Be content with where the Lord has you. 1 Timothy 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing in the world, and we can t- cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. That's it. Food and clothing. Everybody has that, I think. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Matthew 5.25 Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Are you content with what you have? Ultimately, we want to be able to say with David from Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what want. Because the Lord is David's shepherd, he wants nothing. He has everything if the Lord is his shepherd. So consider this morning, please. Is there something that you feel like is in your heart and your mind that you just have to have? Are you like Uzziah who just couldn't take it? He had to go burn incense to the Lord for that honor, for that... We don't know why he wanted to do it. That sin. A third observation from this text, also related to pride. Pride responds to correction with anger. Pride responds to correction with anger. 
Sorry, let me go back. I had to close my Bible because there's enough room up here. So I'm going to... Verse 19. Verse 19, Uzziah was angry. There you go. I didn't have to look back for that. Uzziah was angry. Pride responds to correction with anger. Do y'all see that? Do y'all see that when he was 16 years old, he was humbly willing to submit to the counsel of one man, Zechariah. Yet when he's old and successful and proud and famous, 81 priests of God come and confront him. They tell him exactly what he's doing. They tell him exactly why it's wrong. They give him biblical evidence as to why it's wrong. And this would be where he would say, Oh my word, what am I doing? Y'all are right. But that's not what he does. Because there's so much pride in his heart that even though 81 priests confront him and tell him what he's doing is wrong, he responds in anger. Proverbs 15.10 There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Uzziah hated the priests and their correction in that moment. He was angry. Proverbs 15.12 A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Pride always causes this type of reaction to correction. This is also extremely convicting because I think of times in my life when I've been corrected and how many times have I been angry when I'm corrected. Even when the correction was good and right and true. It may not have been done perfectly. No one's ever going to correct you perfectly, just so you know. Your parents aren't, your friends aren't, your spouse definitely is not. You cannot respond to correction with anger. If, if that is true of you, then you need to just admit to yourself that you are prideful. You need to be corrected. You do. You don't have everything figured out. You need to be corrected. And when that correction comes, even if it's imperfect, you better check yourself if you begin to respond in anger. Because that is a sure sign of pride in your heart. Do you feel angry when you get corrected? Do you feel like you're being kept from something? Do you feel like it's not right? Do you feel like this is an injustice? Pride responds to correction in anger. Proverbs 15.31 The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. So that's three observations from the text. We're going to keep going, and we're going to look at more, but we're going to kind of move away from pride now. I really feel like those were the most obvious, the most um, clear observations that we could make from this text, but we're going to try to quickly cover a few more because God's Word is full of helpful truth. So shifting gears a little bit, the fourth observation, the fourth way to apply this text from King Uzziah is the reality that God's blessing is on those 
who seek Him. God's blessing is on those who seek Him. God is pleased, truly pleased to bless those who seek Him. We see that all throughout verses 1 through 15. Uzziah, at the start of his life, sought the Lord. He was faithful to the Lord. He submitted to wise counsel. And he genuinely, truly sought the Lord. And God overwhelmingly blessed him. Three times it says the Lord helped him. Now, one thing to point out is that all that Uzziah accomplished, all that he achieved was also in line with what the Lord wanted to accomplish. It's not like he was seeking the Lord and said, I want some crazy thing, like, I want to burn incense. You can't do that. That's clear. God doesn't honor that. But if you are going along with what you know the Lord has called you to do and you're seeking Him, you can expect God's blessing in your life. And sometimes that feels strange to say. We're not like a prosperity gospel church, but that's okay. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that as you seek the Lord in your life, truly seek Him, you truly will experience blessing. You truly will experience some element of prosperity. There is blessing in this life for those who reject the way of the world, who reject ourself and our sin, and we walk with the Lord faithfully, carefully observing His ways. He does bless that. Consider other Old Testament characters like Daniel or Joseph, who, although their journey was filled with ups and downs and lefts and rights, the reality is that they were faithful to the Lord, they sought the Lord, and the Lord blessed them in incredible ways. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And what is he like? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. If we have our delight in the law of the Lord, if we genuinely seek God, if we genuinely follow after Him, God will prosper us. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. So, I mean, the question is, is do you believe this? Do you desire this? Do you want to follow the Lord? Do you want to seek God and experience His blessing? Do you want to actually see what it's like to have the Lord help you and prosper you? Another observation from the text. Verse 17 and 18. We see Azariah and we see 80 priests confront, without a doubt, the most powerful man that existed in their world in that day. The courage of the priests. They, they seem to be just background characters in the story, and, and they are. They're not the main the main character. But I, I, as I was reading this, I didn't want to skip over it because the reality is they're extremely good examples to us. The text calls them men of valor. 
And they would have known the story from 1 Samuel chapter 22, where another famous king, King Solomon, no, I'm sorry, King Saul, when he felt like there were some priests that helped David, his enemy, he just went ahead and had all 85 of those priests killed. They would know that. That was their ancestors. And so when they see the king desire to burn incense, we don't really know exactly what goes on in their head, but they do not back down. They confront the king, they use the word of God, and they say, this is not right. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Are you willing to be more worried about what God thinks than about someone in your life who is actually quite powerful, who is actually quite important and quite influential? Are you going to be like the priests who are willing to take a stand for truth and for God. The next point about a point of observation and application. This was an easy one for me to actually skip over, but it's incredibly important. God is serious about how his people worship. So, the sin of King Uzziah, was it really that big of a deal? I mean, King David, the man after God's own heart, he was an adulterer, he was a murderer, he did all kinds of stuff like that. King Solomon, who y'all looked at last week, all these wives and all these false worship. There's a lot of kings who do a lot of bad stuff. And all he wanted to do was burn incense. Isn't that good? Shouldn't we want to do that for God? Right? He wanted to worship God. Is it that big of a deal? It is. God is serious about how his people worship him. There's no excuse. It was very clear that this was not allowed. It was very clear that this was forbidden. It makes me think of from Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3, the actual sons of Aaron go to do the same thing, burn incense. Shouldn't, it doesn't sound like a big deal, right? Just burning incense. Well, they go and they do it in a way that was unauthorized, a way that was not commanded them. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. God cares about how we worship Him. Or another example from 2 Samuel chapter 6 to show that God is serious about His commands. They were carrying the ark of God on a new cart and they brought it down the hill and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, I want to say that, were driving the new cart. They were driving the new cart which that's wrong, by the way, with the ark of God. And they were all playing and celebrating. And when they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. The ark was starting to 
go down. Uzzah, doing the honorable thing, goes to keep it from falling. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. If God is clear in his commands, which he is multiple times in the Old Testament, that whoever does this that's not a priest of Aaron will die. It is a big deal. God cares about how we worship him. And perhaps you think, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, a New Testament application. Just this morning, we took the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to paraphrase because I'm sure I'm going over on time. It says that if you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, that is why some of you are sick or even die. This is the New Testament. Do you take seriously the worship of God? Do you approach it casually? Do you care? Are you checking social media during times of reading of God's Word, during the sermon, during the Lord's Supper? Are you completely checked out? If you are and you claim to be a Christian, I would just admonish you. God cares about how we approach Him in worship. We would all do well to revere and respect the Lord in worship more. Next point of application. God is merciful to Uzziah in his punishment. We haven't talked very much about the fact that Uzziah's punishment was that the Lord immediately and clearly strikes him in the forehead with leprosy. That's pretty intense. Like we already talked about a little bit, the reality is, is that God had said he would die. But he didn't. God should have and could have killed Uzziah and been totally right and totally just. Now, what I want to say about this point is that this is part of me just being optimistic. This is what I hope. Because in a lot of ways I can relate to this point. Because what I hope is that instead of God immediately killing Uzziah, he strikes him with leprosy, which is very serious, very humbling, and he lives for another 10 years separate from God's people. No longer acting as king, definitely not doing what he wanted to do by being in the temple and burning incense. He's extremely humbled at this point. And this is a mercy to Uzziah. And the text doesn't say this, but I just hope and I have to wonder why God would strike him with leprosy and leave him to live alone for 10 years. Uzziah is removed from all of his successes. He's removed from all of his fame. He's removed from all of his armies and his agriculture and his machines of war. And he's just there in his house alone. But he's not alone. He's with God. And I just have to hope that he deals with God for the last 10 years of his life. I hope that he can say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. 
this leprosy that is the worst thing that's ever happened to me is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Psalm 119.71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. We don't know that that's what happened to Uzziah, but we can hope. And the reason why I'm hopeful is because I can relate. When the Lord afflicts you, when the Lord disciplines you, you learn just how good He is. Hebrews 12, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. And if we read Uzziah and we think, all I want in my life is to make sure that I don't screw up like him and get leprosy in front of everybody and go down in history as a leper, then you are missing the point. There's a reality. There's a sense that unless God has afflicted you like He has afflicted Uzziah, unless you have been brought low, you do not know just how precious the Lord is. I don't think any of us are going to get leprosy. I hope. But you're going to be disciplined. You're going to be corrected. You're going to be afflicted. You're going to have something pretty bad happened to you that you wish wouldn't. And it's probably going to be your fault. And I guess all I want to tell you guys, just because I'm older than you, is that when that comes, don't reject that. Don't turn away from that. Don't say, I just wish more than anything my life was good and everything was perfect. Embrace that, and you'll learn to cherish it because it is that thing that leads you to the Lord in seriousness and earnestness. And you learn to love the Lord when you're afflicted. And so I hope that Uzziah saw his leprosy as mercy, as grace, as compassion, as kindness, because he was going down a path that he should not go on, and God stopped him. And he had no choice but to leave the temple and go be isolated with himself and with the Lord. Do you cherish the reality that God's discipline is a kindness and is a mercy? Okay, our last point. Am I way over time? All right. One more point. I want you to now turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Before we go into this point, I'm just really curious. Who has heard of King Uzziah before this morning? A few of y'all. It's very likely 
that it was from this passage. Isaiah chapter 6. It's one of the most famous scriptures in all of scripture. It's one of the most incredible prophecies in all of scripture. And I almost skipped it. I almost didn't include it because it doesn't say much about King Uzziah. And the reality is, that's perfect. Because King Uzziah was a good king, and he failed miserably. And if you were an Israelite at that point, or you're in the kingdom of Judah, the reality is you were looking to that king, and you were hopeful, and it was where you found a lot of your hope. And Isaiah the prophet, he's at a point in his life where King Uzziah now dies. He has been his king for the previous 52 years, and now he's dead. So let's read Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of, of, of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. We're just going to look at this briefly. And I just also want to say that we're just barely scratching the surface of what this passage is. This is not an exposition of this text. Really what I want to do is just set before you guys that we've been looking at King Uzziah. He's pretty important. He's pretty great. And he gets leprosy. And now all of a sudden, where is he? He's dead. Everyone else is left on earth. Isaiah is left, the great prophet. And Uzziah is dead. And just one point of application for you guys. The truth is, the reality is, that's going to be true of all of us. You are going to die. There's going to be people left after you. You're not quite as important as you were in your own mind when you're living. You're dead now. Uzziah's dead. However, in contrast, in stark contrast, Isaiah sees our Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. He's being worshipped by angels. He's so holy that they cover their feet, they cover their face, and with the other two they fly and they're just saying how holy the Lord is, and He fills the earth with His glory. And all Isaiah can do, the only response, nothing is going on, it's just God is being worshipped. And all he says is, Woe is me, I am lost. The reality is, is the, the reason why Uzziah 
began to have pride. And the reason why Uzziah was the one unfaithful to the Lord is because he was lacking this experience. He was lacking this vision. He was not considering the eternal king. So the last thing I want to say to you guys today, have you ever had an experience like Isaiah had in this passage? Have you ever truly encountered the Lord and thought, I am unclean? Have you ever been undone as you encounter the holiness and the majesty and the glory of God? That is the only motivation that we can have to actually live in a way that does honor the Lord. If you're doing it without this type of attitude, if you are living the Christian life and you are not in awe, you're pretending. It's fake. It's not real. This is the proper response as we encounter God. This is the right motivation. This view of the eternal king who's on his throne for eternity past and eternity future is the only way that we can live rightly before God. I don't want you to hear the first part of this lesson that we just need to make sure we live well and we don't mess up like Uzziah did. And that's all that matters. No, what matters is that you experience what it is to see the Lord on the throne. When Uzziah was made king at 16, God was on his throne. When he sinned by going in the temple, God was on his throne. God is on his throne right now. And I just want you to consider that. I just want you to realize that that reality, that truth matters. And it matters a great deal to you. Can you put away some of your distractions? Can you put away your schoolwork? Can you put away your job? Can you put away social media? Can you put away your friends? Can you just get rid of all this junk and consider that God is on his throne and that is all that matters? And you are unclean and you must be forgiven. You must go to Christ. You must ask for his forgiveness and his mercy in His grace. I'll close with this quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, It is grace at the beginning and grace at the end so that when you and I come to lie upon our deathbeds, the one thing that should comfort and help and strengthen us is the thing that helped us in the beginning. Not that we have been, not that we have done, but the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord the Christian life starts with grace. It must continue with grace. It ends with grace. Wondrous grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So consider the life of King Uzziah. Consider what God's Word teaches us, the truths that we can apply. But most importantly, consider the eternal King who's on the throne right this very second. And have you dealt with him? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray that it would affect my heart, that I would learn to love Christ more, that I would do away with 
my own sin, turn away from my own self-righteousness and turn to You. And I pray the same for these students. Lord, grow them in the knowledge of You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.